Mama, I got bad news, bad news. I've been rolling with some bad dudes, bad dudes. I've been trying to get a bag to, a bag to. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Ashes to Awesome podcast, Rising in Recovery. Our podcast provides light, hope, and understanding about addiction and mental health to those living within that life and the people who love them. This episode is brought to you by Together We Can, where Canada recovers from addiction. That's twcrecoverylife.org. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Ashes to Awesome podcast. I'm your host, Chuck LaFlange, and today I am sitting in studio with Attica J. Did I say that right, dear? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. And she is from the Vancouver Lower East Side, and she's here to talk about harm reduction. So welcome to the show, Attica. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you so much. Um, And yeah, uh, nice to meet you, and thank you so much for having me. Um, Harm reduction has been a very um, crucial part in my life, I think. Um, So I haven't been addicted to, I've never been addicted or interested in trying any sorts of drugs, but I know a lot of people who use and I know I've lost friends due to overdoses and I see them basically maintaining their sobriety for a long time due to harm reduction. So okay. I do harm reduction about three, four days a week. And then my nonprofit organization also focuses on that. So it's just a That's lot life, of harm reduction. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, no kidding. like a harm no reduction kidding. life. I mean, my dog, Gaston, <laughs> likes to bite like the whole party pack. So he loves, yeah. he loves just... He, he loves giving people like clean alcohol swabs and things like that. <laughs> That's oh, great. yeah. That's great. Yeah. He just assumed that you're a user. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> so, and if, yeah. So you bring like a party pack and like with the rubber and everything. And yeah. if someone just like, okay, I'm not going to take that, my dog will just literally bite the rubber off so that it kind of like lay out there like the whole saline and like you know oh, that's awesome that's awesome yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So, put it on display for them eh? yeah 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 put it on um, display oh do you have a uh, trouble opening it let me open it for you so okay, he carries okay. around the narcan box too like the sorry the narcan kit as well he yeah, loves that yeah. he loves bringing in things like that to people wow wow yeah. well, helpful little guy. i never asked him to do that he's just sort of just doing it i can't following mom right yeah yeah, yeah. so um, about harm reduction, I think when people hear harm reduction, there's a couple of things that, that they think about, you know, we talked about before we started recording. Um, typically, uh, clean needles, um, uh, injections, supervised injection sites, is that what we're calling them, right? No? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Supervised injection sites. Uh, safe s- injection sites or safe consumption sites or inhalation yes. tent. Yes. Yeah. Um, what are a couple of the other kind of buzzwords that, that were around harm reduction? Um, of course, safe supply. Is that what we're calling it? Safe supply or clean supply? Yeah, safe supply. Safe yeah. supply. Okay, sorry. And yeah. words matter, so well, that's that's why I'm asking to make sure here, right? Yeah, now. yeah. 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 Um, but what? Like, there's more. There's so much more to it than that. For, for me, what harm reduction is basically it's a, it's a way to stay connected, and that's the way I look at it. At, at what harm reduction is, and at where the real win is. You know, if if addiction is lack of connection, then you know, being able to stay connected to these people until such time as they're, you know, able to, to make some better choices, perhaps. But that's for me personally, how I view it. 
what is harm reduction? What are, what are the different levels or, or facets of it? I, I'm not sure. What's the, what's the terminology I'm looking for here, Attica? Yeah, so I think harm reduction, the way I see it, it's, it's not really enabling. That's what I see a lot of people think about harm reduction. Oh, are you enabling drug users? Oh, you think drug is okay? And no, no. No one say drug is, is is great. Like no, no, no one I see likes fentanyl or xylazine. But it's more so about meeting people where they're at and sort of um, prevent them from dying due to the drugs that they're using. So, okay. yeah. um, actually, the lady that I see today, she was very scared after you know, being abused very badly, just fresh out of that. She was so afraid of being and so distraught and very disturbed. And she was so afraid that when I talk about the safe supply, I will make her um, um, being forced into a treatment in a hospital. And she was crying. She was just so scared. And I said, hey, no, no, it's not like that. Like, what do you need? Socks? You know? Harm reduction yeah. can all, actually can just be, you know, distributing socks. Doesn't have to be needles, but you know, uh, like blankets, for instance. Okay. Uh, socks is a really big thing. Um, yeah. Right. I, yeah. You know, yeah. Only having been homeless, like really homeless, for about two weeks at the end of my active addiction. Yeah. I get to, already socks became a pretty major damn thing. So I can't imagine extended periods of time out there. I mean, yeah. yeah oh I, yeah. I, um, socks. Yeah. Um, and then wound care, wound kit, things like that is actually also harm reduction. Um, of course. So even education, and that's how I see it too. It's basically, uh, the way I see it is, it's better to make incremental change rather than drastically going like an on-off switch. I kind of see it like this when I try to explain it. Like, okay, you eat junk food. Junk food is bad, 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 bad. And you cannot just turn the switch off and then eat salad right away for the rest of your life. You're, you're not going to stay like that, okay? No. Even no. though it's great if you eat salad every single day, that's awesome. But you won't be able to do that. You're probably going to relapse. Most likely you're going to relapse. And when there's a relapse, then you kind of have to have a safety net. And that's basically harm reduction. And harm reduction okay. is more so... Let's say I really like fries. I love fries. And harm reduction approach to that, and I think harm reduction principle really apply in many, many ways. Let's say, okay, I really love fries. And harm reduction would be, okay, well, I can eat fries, but I need to cook it from the air fryer. So way less fat. And then the next thing will be, okay, well, I can eat fries, but maybe put a little bit of lettuce in, you know, just anything that is just really, really tiny incremental change. Okay. Um, and I've never seen anyone who is not willing to be sober. They're willing to be sober. They just have relapses. And yeah. harm reduction, I think, I'm so honored to be there when, when, harm reduction is literally the last train, the last line between them and death. And mm -hmm. my role is basically kind of being in that middle with other peers. It's okay. basically in that middle and being that line between someone's life and death. And, and wow. I, 
it's like after reversing overdoses what i see from people when they open their eyes it's like it's like i see a birth it's like this person is rebirthing yeah. i usually i'm actually almost always so happy and i can't i i never cry but i i i, I cried inside and it's just like hey welcome back you know there's just another hope for you to be one day sober mm -hmm. and there's a hope for that and thanks to harm reduction you're here we get to see you actually come alive you know so no yeah quite literally though right i mean yeah when it comes no, to narcan it, yeah. And, yeah, yeah yeah right yeah so, so that must be a pretty fantastic feeling to, to uh, i've been there nowhere near to the extent that you have I, you know it's, it's a handful of times that i've that i've narcan somebody and brought them back um Here's that I'm going to ask you what what you just said. All too often, within five minutes, they need a hoot, right? Somebody that you've that that you've narcan, you know, can I have a hoot? Can I have a hoot? No, you can't. But do you get do you run into that? And and does that frustrate you the same way that it frustrated me back then? Or have you come to terms with that's just kind of how things are? Um, I'm I assuming would say you've you've heard it. So how how does it make you feel? Oh, it's actually crazier than that. It's more so that I remember uh, just um, uh, tending to this overdose of a, this gentleman at the set of the street. And he had, I can tell by the way he moved, I was like, okay, okay, this person is going to go down. Like, I knew it. And yeah, it did happen. So he was kicked out from like a safe consumption site. just. Be and now for a quick PSA brought to you by Revolution Recovery helping men recover and become their best selves through support and treatment. They've been there, and they understand. Hey everyone, this is Ryan Bathgate from Kaleidoscope Wednesdays. I wanted to bring a public service announcement to you today about Narcan, or also known as Naloxone. These kits uh, have saved so many lives over the years. Uh, I can attest for that. Uh, being in the industry for so long, I can tell you since we've had the opioid crisis declared in 2016, it has saved thousands of lives and I've watched it personally save hundreds of lives. These kits are small, easy to use. Uh, you can keep them in your glove box or, uh, or in a cupboard in your home and you never know when somebody's gonna need them. Uh, if you have a hard time finding a Narcan kit in your area, just email us here at ashes to awesome podcast at gmail.com. Throw Narcan in the subject line, tell us where you are, and we'll do the legwork to find that for you. If you wanted to send me a question for my Kaleidoscope Wednesdays, again, email ashes to awesome podcast at gmail.com. We will read that question on air, and I'll do my best to answer it in a comprehensive way. Uh, that's all I have for now, and uh, we'll go back to the show. Thanks for listening. Just because he was just, like, bidding himself out, and he was just being very, very aggressive and crazy. And yeah. he went down, and then I narcan him, and he got back up and literally doing push-up. I would say, like, ten push-ups, and I never see that. I'm like... What wow. are you doing, bro? The Narcan gonna wear off, okay? Just letting you know. But it, what frustrates me more, it's is usually when I tell them the Narcan can wears off, and then they just run as fast as they can, just 
yeah. run away. <laughs> and just, what, why, why are you like this? <laughs> so, are they running away from something or are they running to something else? Like They're I, running I, away from me. Wow, eh? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care if people don't say thank you or whatever. Like, oh, of course not. Yeah, 100% yeah. of the yeah. time. Oh, yeah. wait, no. There's only one person who said thank you. Thank you for saving my life or whatever. But other than that, it's usually just like they're trying to run away and like, you know, even with like, you know, broken feet or whatever, they, they, they would run really fast from you. And I actually never seen anyone doing shooting again immediately after an OD. But the day after the OD, I remember of this course, yeah. one person who is so old, so old, heart overdose, not all overdose are the same. Uh, there are different overdoses, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, he had to be intubated, didn't, um, respond to the first Narcan, had to Narcan him twice. The paramedics came and he's still just, just so hard. And it's just like, how many times that this person OD'd? And I figured out that he usually have a track record of overdosing multiple times. So wow. it's almost at every safe consumption site around that area he has been kind of flagged as like okay he probably going to overdose when he's doing his thing next morning i saw him shooting up and it's just uh you're you're very old okay no, and I'm the kidding. last he was already hard it only gets harder See, and that, to me that's a great example of nobody would choose that mm -mm. Right? like you're doing that out of because you're compelled to not because you're choosing to right nobody would yeah. choose that Oh yeah, right. I saw you know, him. Right. So and yeah, yeah. He OD twice actually in a row, and, and we said we like to say, "Hey, the Narcan will wear off. Be careful." And then this old gentleman—I don't know how old, but so old, so old—and I can, it's the the the. I don't know if even the um. If he even have like enough meat, you know, it's just he hasn't eaten in a long time, and he's mm -hmm. so old, and and uh, he just no 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 I will run away like I I will just leave I I want to go home I want to go home I'm like well you need a walker or something and he didn't want to use the walker and he just shoved the walker away and slammed the walker away it was so frustrating on my part. Oh, uh, just why don't you just listen? And so he walked, mm -hmm. well, a block away, and then OD again. So Narcan wore off. Yeah. 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 Right. So. so and then the next morning, I saw him just finding new veins to inject, and it's just gosh. Yeah, that's, that's the demons of addiction, right? Um, you said something there about not needing the thank you, and I totally appreciate what you're saying, right? You know when. Something that I picked up on in the very few times that I had Narcaned anybody, maybe this is something um, that maybe you'll catch now. Nobody ever said thank you, but almost everybody said sorry. Yes. And I thought about that and I thought, oh my God, why are you apologizing to me when you should be thanking me? Not because I need the thank you, but because you should be thankful to be alive. Right? Now, now to me, that right there is the mindset that that just that makes my heart sad right that, very, like you should be thankful to be alive not not sorry for making somebody save it 
right? And, and I think there's a big difference to that, you know, so. Um, I would say, yeah, there is a lot of shame. There's a yeah. lot of deep shame in overdosing. And it's just mm -hmm. like, I always tell them over and over, this is not your fault. It's not your fault that there is a toxic drug or a combination of the nastiest drugs put into together and you didn't right. know what you take. You did yeah. not know. Um, no, no one has like, you know, little, little spectrometer in which they can, they can test what's in the, the pill. They don't know yeah. that pill could have been anything. Yeah. So, right. Right. It's not their fault. So yeah, that's what I uh, say. And, I remember my best friend OD'd and I saved him and it was it's different when you save someone who is not your dear friend versus when someone is really really close to you I've only um, ever saved people close to me so yeah I've, I've yeah never it's very stranger, right? it's very yeah. hard to see um but mm. I was happy that he made it um and he said sorry so many times and I was just why you're sorry and he's like well, because it's traumatic to see that. So they yeah. really, what I like to tell people is that people who are addicted to drugs, they're not really harming other people. They're harming themselves. They're hurting right. themselves. Right. They're, and, yeah, they're not doing anything to other people. They're doing it to yeah. themselves, right? You know, yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. You know. At the end of the day, they're hurting themselves. Absolutely. Right. So um, it was actually that little epiphany that I'd had that day when, when somebody was saying sorry to me again. Now we have this thing we talk about on the show sometimes, turn your sorries into thank yous. So instead mm -hmm. of sorry, I relapse, say thank you for giving me another chance. And the mindset is just amazing what it can do to your life. Every time you want to say sorry to somebody, find the thing to say thank you for instead, and your life will change for the better, right? So it's just mm -hmm. something that we, we talk about on the show sometimes, right? Actually, I have an ebook, turn, turn your sorry into thank you. Um, how do you get to a point where this is what you're doing? Not being, um, and, and I mean, the vast majority of people in the industry are people that have suffered an addiction, right? How do you get there? Uh, I suffered a great deal of trauma. I okay. almost got killed. I witnessed someone getting um, basically like a hit and run twice. And that person was homeless. Oh, and wow. I was on the passenger seat and I was seven years old. Um, oh my God. Yeah. I have a lot of empathy to people that are unhoused. Um, and then I was homeless myself for a year and a half because I'm a first generation immigrant without, uh -huh. you know how the law really assumes that you came from a family that totally makes sense mom, dad, kids, you know, just totally functional. But the law in Canada doesn't really cover cases where kids are born from dysfunctional family. And it, in that case, that that's me. So okay. I'm an immigrant, first gen immigrant, came here at 14 years old. And yeah, I was so poor slept with rats and I know what it's like to have like rats squeaking beside my ear and um, oh my. Oh. I understand what it's like to being um, stigmatized or uh, yeah or um, stereotyped when... mm. hmm? stereotyped or stigmatized yeah, stereotyped or and uh, yeah like 
the system didn't really work for you. It's like as if it's just going against you. And I was abused for more than 20 years. I I attempted suicide when I was eight years old. I was... So I just want to take a quick minute and uh, let you know about a new sponsor of ours, Rosecrest Recovery Services. You might remember Rich Johnson from an episode just recently about interventions, and he was the interventionist, of course, right? So he's come on as a sponsor, and they don't just do interventions. They do family case management, treatment placement. Um, uh, treatment placement is, is a free courtesy service. And uh, reaching out is a free and completely confidential. So give them a shout, guys. You can reach them at 615-484-8792 or email at info at rosecrestrecoveryservices.com. Remember, they lead men and women to a life of recovery. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. Yeah, I almost got killed multiple times by like my, um, my caretaker would just kind of like swing knife when I was kid if 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 she got angry and she just it's kind of normal for her to just swing knives around so yeah Uh, so I grew up like that and I can see that people in the downtown east side they also share that trauma and we kind of what we we speak the same language Um, so I understand a lot of the trauma and I think that's my common denominator with them is that I've been homeless too. Yeah. And yeah. I share a lot of terrible traumas. Um no kidding. Yeah, my I, I witnessed my mother being beaten crazy for years. So yeah, it's <sighs> it's it's really rather common to to see um, people who are addicted to drugs to have witnessed such things. So uh, harm reduction is more so I started back when Fent was new, so I was just a few days, and people didn't tolerate that at all, and people died, I would say more than 10 people died, um, passed away, OD, and it was just scary. I mean, um, I didn't have... I didn't have naloxone, but I remember I had to pay $50 for a naloxone kit. Wow. And I was being asked thoroughly uh, for 20, 30 minutes, or are you using drugs? Do you know someone who used drugs? Is your cousin using drugs? And it's just like, man, I just want to save some people's lives. And I was in high school. I was in high school, literally. Wow. just a few blocks away from downtown Eastside. And so my undergraduate thesis was about harm reduction to um, mitigate the opioid crisis. And I defended it. And so, what year was this in? Hmm? What year was this in? Um, what, 2017, 18? So right at the beginning of it, then you were like at the forefront yeah. of this whole, so I think 16 is when it was declared and... Yeah, as a yeah. crisis, um, the opioid crisis yeah. wasn't in Vancouver, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Were, like, some, somewhere around there. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So, yeah. right in the early days of it, then, eh? That's that's amazing. Oh yeah, I I actually that's my first thing that just really stuck out to me, just seeing how many people died on the street and people just don't stop and check on them. And I had Narcan kit. Yeah, I know how to use that, but. It cost me $50 and I was a high school kid. And remember, I'm a first generation immigrant. I yeah. was born 
Yeah, sleep with I, was, the rats, I was you're not, there yeah. for a scholarship, like a hundred percent scholarship. Yeah. So fifty dollars is no joke for me. Like that's a lot yeah, of money. No. Yeah. But yeah. So I know in some in some parts of the United States, Ellen, and keeping in mind that a lot of our listeners are American, right? So, okay. um, so most of the United States, I think, you, you Narcan isn't free, like it is here, right? So uh, isn't free um, in the not United. Free. No, in oh, most places wow. you have to pay for it. So it, it, to them, not requiring a subscription is the enlightened thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, well, it's a very different system down there. And, and, wow, yeah, that part really sucks. It just does, right? So oh, yeah. we do it in every commercial or in every episode. And actually, we'll, we'll do an, a PSA right now. Um, but in, in every co- episode, we do a PSA where we, tell, where we ask people just to carry Narcan. Everybody, whether or not you're going to be around irresponsible opioid use, you should carry Narcan because you never know when it's going to be around you, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. one of the things we offer though is I don't care where you are in the world, if you're listening to the show and you can't find free Narcan, we'll get some to you some way, yep. somehow. I'll find it in your area. If I can't do that, I'll find it in the next jurisdiction over. I'll get you some free goddamn Narcan. If you want to have it, I don't care where you are in the world. Narcan. Right? Yes, right? So right? Oh, yeah, I, just, like my, I just think my, everybody should. Yeah, Yeah. like my place is literally mountains of Narcan because I ship them wherever other students really need it. I introduce Narcan to Indonesian students because people there, they, um, they, <clears throat> they have death penalty for drug users. So... Obviously, there are overdoses. It's just that people don't know that there were overdoses. So, yeah, I teach <clears throat> I teach uh, how to administer Narcan uh, through virtual meeting, in person. I don't care. Just freaking, you got to know how to use this. Cause just have it, right? Yeah. Well, just so, use, you know? Yeah. Where, where you are on, on, on Lori's side there, is that uh, the needle kits or the nasal, which is the more common uh more common is absolutely the this kit with the needle and three ampules whenever yep. i go into the downtown east at vancouver i always put them loaded all the needles are loaded so because That's i don't smart. have time to open it and right. the reason yeah. why nasal narcan isn't common is just because it's expensive really eh? Yeah, I, I, I found it interesting. I, I was in Saskatchewan. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, yeah, even here it's expensive and I would use it if and when I see a dog ODing and I have. Uh, I have used the Nalsal Narcan on, on a dog that OD'd, but um, yeah, it's not. It's not common. Oh. No kidding, eh? So yeah. in Saskatchewan, where I was for the last 15 years, um, nasal is by far the more common. Wow. No, yeah, absolutely. In Alberta, where I am now, can't find it. Can't find oh. it at all. Right. So it's a, I, that's why I was asking where you are. What's what's the more common one? Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, the nasal so much easier to use, but. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Basically, you so, can tell a kid how to use it. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the only one that I've ever personally used. I've been there a lot for the needle, but I have a tremor and I'm a very emotional person. So. When it comes to like filling that needle, no, I fuck, I can't do it. I'm whatever. I'm doing CPR. I can do that. It doesn't matter if I have a tremor or how emotional I am. Right? I'll do that. Will you figure that part out? Because I just like uh, you know, <laughs> I just be having a spaz trying to get that that needle filled. But uh, yeah. the nasal Narcan, I'm able to do right. So yeah, yeah. I'm pretty mm-hmm. desensitized at this point. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine. That's yeah. Um, 
that part. So we were talking before the show. We used to do Memorial Mondays every week. We had to back off of them because that was so hard for me to do every single week, you know, immerse myself in the sadness. How do you cope with what you deal with day in and day out? Yeah, good question. Um, I have a whiteboard or like a little altar, I would say, where I just write the handles, meaning the fake name of people who, um, who whose OD I re, uh, reverse in that month. Okay. At yeah. one point, I think I got uh, last month. I think I got what ten, seven or ten, something like that. In that but one month. Always filled up. I always filled up, and I always. Um, some people, many of these people, they don't have um, families. So your your question was about like how to deal with the loss, right? So yeah, how do you how do you process the sadness sometimes? Because you know, not I not every time's a revival, right? So I yeah. I cry it out. That's yeah. it. Even yeah. if I had to cry it out, like in the streets of the downtown east side, people understand that you just lost somebody that you really care about. Or for instance, they've been client for for a while and you just know the person for years and then all of a sudden this person just didn't make it. You just, it's common. And what I yeah. see from the street is that you really need to be raw with your emotions. That you just, if you need to cry it out, you cry it out. That's how you process things. And personally, I have um, sort of like a diary where I just write a bunch about these people that I meet, the people that are um, that I know really well, and I've oh some people know what I'm doing and and they basically say, hey, when I pass away because of an OD or toxication, can you do a celebration of life based on this information that you have? So that is very, very, like, that is an honor. I no also wrote a little interviews with people, and they, they, that's basically all about themselves, like a little biography. So I got people who are users, but also have a dementia, and then they talk in front of the camera, and they, they are willing to do that. And so they just talk and talk and talk, and it's like a little, little, um, little, biography about themselves and then they told me that hey my dementia is only getting worse you know dementia dementia is only getting worse i will not remember but yeah. please pass this to everyone to my kids and things like that so wow yeah so i just see it like that i always honored the memory i always honored them as a person um and just process the feelings by writing and having like a little altar in which you can just sit there and really just appreciate these people. So that's, wow. that's wow. how I do I really, it. I really like that. I really like that. We, we often talk about that part of it um, you know, with our psychiatrists who, who specialize in addiction and, and the therapists and, and, and all the people that come on the show. Um, we talk about this stuff quite a bit. I've never heard quite a unique perspective like that. Like uh, yours, is, yours is unique. I like that, and I, I like Thank what you're doing to, to manage that for sure. Yeah, yeah. So oh, there's all sorts of things I want to talk to you about. <laughs> to be honest with you, um, one of the things I want to touch base on: uh, coerced treatment. Um, 
and do you know what I mean when I say that or use that specific term, mandated treatment, coerced treatment? Mm -hmm. Here in Alberta, it's become it's becoming a very real thing very quickly. Mm. Um, what are your thoughts yeah, on it? Treatment? Uh, yeah. What is it? What are your thoughts on it? Uh, it doesn't work <laughs> because <laughs> no, it doesn't. I mean, I like I know. I I will refer people to detox when they are ready, but. When they are forced, like I said, they rather be in jail than or or die even like they, they really told that over and over to me rather than forced to be um, to be uh, in a, a, a mandatory recovery. And that put them in a higher risk of overdosing. Actually, I've seen overdoses. Please just don't get me started with how many overdoses there are when people escape the mandatory treatment and they just do their yeah. little little score and it's just poof done. no tolerance it's anymore and, and down pre you go, pretty right? much so, all right you're you're going to od a hundred percent like well we, um, we've done um 17 memorial mondays 14 of them were fentanyl overdose mm -hmm. and i think 12 of those were all people that had significant amounts of clean time right before their death Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, once your tolerance is gone, it, it doesn't right. work. You know? um, yeah. So people also people try to be sober. And I think when people really support the mandatory coerced treatment, they don't really have a faith in the person wanting to be sober. Honestly, yeah. I've seen hundreds of them, probably a thousand or so. And every single one of them do not enjoy being having a life as an addict. They don't. And no. um, they do want to recover, but it takes relapses, lots of relapses before they can maintain mm -hmm. this sobriety. And I would say about 20, 30 times, like just trying an error, trying again, trying again, trying again. That, but 100% of the people I've seen, they all try to be sober. And they will try again. Yeah, they will. They will. Um, one argument that's been made: somebody has schizophrenia, and it's bad that they're hurting themselves or they're hurting others. Yeah, they'll be committed for that. They'll be, you know, forced into, you know, hey, you can't be out there because you're a danger to yourself and others. If disease is an addiction, that, and so, and I'm not making this argument. I'm saying an argument that's been made. Because, mm -hmm. like I told you at the beginning of the show, I'm Switzerland. Right? I don't, you know, I, I'm very, very careful not to be, but it was, it's an interesting argument that took me from being super anti-mandated treatment to, oh, maybe there's something there, right? Mm -hmm. if, it's, if, if addiction is a disease and the disease has gotten this point, person to the point where they're incapable of making good choices for themselves, maybe, I don't know, but then it can't be a cop telling you that. It can't, there has to be a panel of doctors. There has to be, you know, because committing somebody is not an easy thing to do for, you know, if that, that suffering and schizophrenia or whatever. So, mm -hmm. so um, yeah, well, my mom is schizophrenic. Um, oh, so, okay, great one to pick then. <laughs> or mm -hmm. horrible one to pick. I'm not sure. Right. Let's see where this conversation goes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mm, okay, so... Oh, what if they don't, you're unable to make their own decision. Okay. Look, it, you don't have to be a drug user to really make that decision. 
You don't have no, to. No, no, you don't. And, and I guess um, it's, it comes down to the yeah. severity of that decision. Is it, yeah. are you hurting yourself and others in the process? Mm. And, but do you see? And there was a psychiatrist that said that to me. She's like, but, but wait, if somebody has schizophrenia, if somebody has whatever mental illness, mm-hmm. we'll lock, we'll, we will put them into a safe environment so that we can get them medicated, that we can get them whatever. What is the difference? It's like, oh, yeah, you might have, I don't know. So what it has done is just really raised a question in my mind that is there some cases where it is the right thing to do? I would say that treatment, I, I'm all about treatment, but treatment has to be friendly to those who are non-compliant. Yes. Because most of them that? are compliant. And what, what do you mean there exactly? I, I'm not sure what you're... So, for instance, there's a methadone base, but there's no, like, you know, kind of like tapering off or uh, injectable um, opiate agonist therapy or things like that. But it's it's basically we need a more robust system in terms of recovery and being more trauma informed about this and uh, trauma informed. I agree with 100 percent. 100 uh, percent the more i learn about it the more i i go why is this not a huge part of like no wonder people relapse right we haven't even begun to address the problem really you know that the drugs were the solution that for the problem is the trauma right you know yeah (laughs) and i think the 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 forced treatment really just trying so focused into all right you're not gonna take any score today trust me they it's possible to do that yeah. The challenge is to stay sober. Stay Absolutely. sober. It Absolutely. doesn't right. matter how much they've been uh, forced into a treatment. They will go out. At some point, they will go out. What are they going to do when they're out? Will yeah. they be able to maintain that sobriety? And trauma-informed and basically giving these patients... Uh, coping mechanisms to be able to be more uh, uh, basically to give them coping mechanisms that are healthy and promote mental resiliency is absolutely way more productive than forcing them and then they go out and then they OD. Right, um, right. I, I think force should be a last resort. I, I feel like maybe it's it's got a place, but it's it's one of many, many tools available to the world, right? So, um, you know, uh, we have to do a much better job of treating trauma, yeah. much better job, right? Uh, yeah. If addiction is smoke, a... trauma is the fire, right? So, yeah. yeah, so there is a um, learned helplessness, which I like to talk about uh, with these clients. And learned helplessness is basically um, just, well, just like the name says. So something happened to them. Let's say mm-hmm. I was abandoned. And right, so my dad left, and then my my mom was schizophrenic, and then I had to take care of her. I had to be abused, and at the same time dealing with schizophrenic mother, and then being poor, and then being homeless. It's sort of just like things over and over beyond your control that is just going against you. And this is something we're not trying to do with these people. We're trying to promote choice. We're trying to promote hey, you can make choices. Actually, you have to make good choices for yourself. Like this is a self-empowerment. And what I see from a lot of these clients is that they have learned helplessness. Oh my goodness. I've, I've seen like, I, I, 
uh, in my conversations about why people start using, they tell me all sorts of stuff. They tell me, my mom introduced me to crack when I was eight years old. I got that. Oh, my kid was being cremated when, and I didn't know about that. That was my conversation today. There were crazy, crazy reasons that it's just like life going against them over and over and over and over. And, um, and basically the forced treatment is in a way promoting that learned helplessness is that, oh no, I don't have any autonomy, no autonomy. They didn't have any autonomy when they they were, they were having all these adverse experiences in their lives. I didn't have any autonomy when, when I was abused for 20 years and seeing my mother being abused and beaten up like crazy, I didn't have an autonomy to that. I had learned helplessness as well, but it's really about the healing part of it is actually starting to make uh, choices that are self-empowering. So I started to go to the gym. I started to eat healthy. I started to compete in weightlifting. I started to make an organization. I started to educate people about trauma. I started to sort of trying to make a, make medicine to be more trauma informed. And mm-hmm. why? Because we need a lot of self-empowerment in these people. And forced treatment is really taking the autonomy away from them. They don't need that that's, anymore. That's a very that's good point. That's the last thing they need. But that's yeah. a very good point on that. Yeah. See, and it, I'm, I'd be so easy. I'm a, I make a great Switzerland because if I'll sit here and talk to you for half an hour, I'll be like, yep, she's right. And I'll, I'll talk to this guy for half an hour. I'll be like, no, he's got it figured out. So I'm, I'm pretty easily swayed, right? I, no, no opinion of my own. Right. <laughs> well, fluid, right? What it is is the more I learn, right? So I, I become, you know, I was so hard one way, so hard this way. But the more I listen, the more I learn. And, you know, I'm able to, you know, yeah. definitely open my, my mind to, to different ideals and the like, right? So... Um, I do want to take a quick break here for a commercial and we'll be right back. On August 17th and 18th, the Mission Community Services Society is going to be holding a fundraiser called the 24-Hour Homeless Fundraiser. Ten participants will go unhoused for an immersive experience being homeless as a way to raise awareness and funds for Mission's new community medical mobile unit, EMMU. I talked to Nate at MCSS about this fundraiser and here's what he had to say. So we send them out and say, we'll go find a job. Well, no. without ID, how are you going to get hired? You, you have a resume, right but you have no way to get your resume right now. So I don't know what you're going to do, but you still got to go look for work. You've yeah. got to find an income. Talk to income assistants. Ask them how you get income assistance when you don't have ID. Yeah. yeah. Right? And so people start to recognize, like, it's not as simple as get a job. It's really not. I, I, have, yeah. I have some resources. Not some resources. I have some family that was helping me out, and their frustration almost broke me when I came in from active addiction. So yeah. that's what the fundraiser is for, is to keep that medical mobile unit on the road. But it's so, also for people to have a, a real in-depth look at homelessness and just yeah. see how, how tough that struggle is when you're trying to get out of it. All right, so we are back from the break. And Attica, I wanted to talk to you about what you're doing with your time these days. You had mentioned that you work, you know, um, three or four days a week doing what you're doing now, but what else you got going on? Uh, yeah, so I'm helping with the safe consumption side, inhalation tent, and then I do research in the alleys. So I basically do lots of surveys and 
basically get trauma-informed uh, method of communicating to patients that are unhoused and uh, in the shelters as ROs. And so um, I collaborate with um, some scholars, some researchers, medical sociologists, and then hopefully I get to uh, collaborate with a nurse as well or doctors too. And it's kind of like an underground street medicine research. So it's really, really fun. It's very new in medicine, actually, the whole like underground street medicine which to me kind of baffles me because it's not a new thing to be unhoused. It's not a new thing to not even live a little in. bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like it's yeah. supposed to it's supposed to exist a long time ago in a way of like how to relate and developing this clinical tool for uh, people who are living in the alleys. So yeah, I go to the alleys. I really love the alleys. I love the people there. And then I run a nonprofit. So we are a registered nonprofit, Canadian nonprofit organization called the J Healthcare Initiative, okay. which basically we do alley outreach in times, just, um, you know, making sure that checking on people with our oximeters and then handing out things that they probably need like alcohol swipes or a lot of them need like um, disinfectant because it's just nasty to deal with rats so things like that we um, hand out gears um, sometimes uh, straight pipes and bubbles uh, sorry stem stem uh, stem pipes so yeah, we do that as well. And then on top of that, we are doing harm reduction talks to um, students. And if they want to learn about how to administer naloxone, we tell them how to do that. Um, we also do, my organization also do um, what I call substance sense. So it's basically based on the text that I get from a notification from the health authorities that there has been a toxic drug. And uh, I would do like a little nugget size, bite size information about this drug, what they look like. And so that people understand and kind of be careful about um, what they're putting in. Oh, wow. You sure got a lot going on there. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, on top of like the National Overdose Response Service, which I also do. So it's like I, I, I kind of supervise people who are using in person, but also when I come home, sometimes at night, I would also supervise people basically from the distance from a call or even like a okay, video. I've call. heard about this. I think there's a couple different versions of this, but is this a Canadian initiative that you're talking about now? Yeah. Okay. And is, is this one where they don't have to give their real name? They don't have to give. Yeah. No. They, they, they just, um, and they give their, their own plan. Is that, is that one right? Or am I thinking of they something else? They have their own safety plan. People have their own safety plans. Okay. What's this one? Okay. This one's really important to me. So what is that called again? Let's say the name again. National Overdose Response Service. Okay. So N-O-R-S, right? Yes. NORS. Yes. That's right. That's right. Okay. So it's different uh, than like having like this little machine or this little app where it's um, where you put a timer and the timer is. Yeah, it's like five minutes or ten minutes or something like that. But in um, when I spot, we we call it spotting, 
And when I spot someone, it's really just life. You know, I really look at them and make sure that they're okay. And I get to, you know, call in the safety plan if, uh, you know, uh, they they didn't do well. So okay. I really okay. like doing these things. I know people told me that, Atika, this is so crazy what you are doing. Why are you doing this? But <laughs> I honestly just really enjoy working with the people so um yeah I'm just, I'm just looking it up so i can have it fresh to put in the show notes and make sure that i don't forget that so yeah and because people you're looking for volunteers there aren't they always looking for more volunteers they're always looking for volunteers i help people to uh train on how to spot someone from a distance okay. just because there are there are way more overdoses um when they're using alone uh than when there are Thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, you yeah. know, with people. So um, I always tell people, hey, if you're interested in learning how to spot someone, text me or let me know. My email always has the 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 phone number, and usually the phone number will be forwarded to me or whoever is uh, on shift that time, and then we pick the pick the call and just do it. Okay. Um, yeah, and I always have like a footer under my email. It says like, do not use alone. Let me know if you want me to spot you and I can do it confidentially. So that's what I tell people as well. And wow. that's what I tell to volunteers as well. Wow, wow, yeah. I like that. Um, and your nonprofit again, it, it is the J Health Initiative? J Healthcare Initiative. Oh, J Healthcare Initiative. I was close. I was close. Okay. Yeah, you are. Um, you are. And you sent me those links earlier, so I'll make sure that that's in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have we got to make sure is in the show notes, right? Um, I just, God, I'll forget. Anyway, I'll, I'll make sure that everything's in there. So um, the, that National Overdose Awareness, our, our response system, I think we're going to do some more for them. I'm trying to get some uh, some volunteers going on through the show here. Yes, please. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, we'll talk. They to them. are amazing people. They they are they're great people. I I never turn my notifications off for them because we just talk about dogs. We just we're really there for each other and we support each other. So yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's great. great. People. Okay. Okay. Um. Well, we're at the hour mark here, so I guess that brings us to my favorite part of the show. That's the Daily Gratitudes. Today's Daily Gratitudes are brought to you by Dr. Treatment Centers in Phuket, Thailand. They are a clinic run by clinicians, not a business run by businessmen. And they know that where addiction is the smoke, trauma is the fire. Learn more at yatracenters.com. That's Y-A-T-R-A-C-E-N-T-R-E.com. What do you got for us today for some daily gratitudes, Attica? I am so thankful that I was there and present when someone um, just got out from being uh, sexually trafficked and she was very vulnerable with me and I feel honored to have been trusted Mm. by her and I feel very very good coming home that i just help another woman feeling empowered about herself and just making sure that she knows that it's not her fault um other than that i had a fabulous big 
portion of fries and I got a <laughs> Oh my god, they had this like I know food in the hood. Gosh, it's just great. It's like whew, it's it's amazing. So um yeah, usually they're like restaurants and donut stores that are giving freebies for people who respond to overdoses, so I get I get a bunch of freebies. I mean, people say like, oh, you're so altruistic. I'm like, you have no idea how many free donuts I get. Okay. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> you don't know how many freebies yeah. I get. Yeah. I get two freebies. I get, you know, access to like a boxing class for free. And it's just lots and lots of freebie. Like, uh -oh. you know. Uh -oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's great. It's great. I got like free meditation retreat which is something that i'm also thankful for i'm registered for this amazing meditation retreat in an island for free just because of what i do <laughs> so, wow wow right I love that's it. nice that's and when nice. people yeah. say oh you're so altruistic i'm like ah yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> it's not without some reward though right it's good karma it's good karma yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and well, for the final gratitude, it goes out to you, the listeners, whatever you guys are doing, please keep doing it. If you're on Spotify, uh, drop a comment in there. If, if you're watching or listening there, if you're on YouTube, do the comment thing. If you're on Apple rate and review, please anywhere you see the logo, whether on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, fuck, we're all over the place. Uh, <laughs> anytime you see one of those labels, you can stop, drop a comment, ask a question, uh, give us a topic idea. We're more than happy to do it. Every time you do these things, you're getting me a little bit closer to living my best life. My best life is to make a humble living, spreading the message. The message is this. If you are in active addiction right now, today could be the day. Today could be the day that you start that lifelong journey. Reach out to a friend. Reach out to a family member. Call into detox. Go to a meeting. Do whatever the hell it is you need to do to get that journey started because it is so much better than the alternative. Mm -hmm. And if you are the loved one of somebody who's suffering an addiction right now, you're just taking the time to listen to our conversation. If you just take one more minute out of your day and text that person, let them know they are loved. Use the words. You are loved. That little glimmer of hope just might be the thing that brings them back. Boom.